Bachelors choose their perfect woman without knowing who's real and who's a deep fake. Like, subscribe, or don't. I don't give a shit. Joining me today are two special guests. Established content creators, writers, directors, Lauren Gillis and Elaine Hutton. They're here today to talk about their comedy sketch series, Content Farm. And they have an established background in the performing, writing, directing uh, from Lester Tripp's Theatre, of Lester Tripp's Theatre. And I'm just so excited to have you here and welcome. Thanks Thank for you. having us, Christine. Yeah, so... I watched Content Farm and oh my goodness, I was not only blown away, but it's so creative and so it makes you think. Mm. And I want to know, and the audience wants to know, as well as the viewers and listeners, how did you come up with the idea? I mean, I love the title, Content Farm. <laughs> so basically, it was from being inundated with content from real content farms or content mills. So you know, content farm basically be um, a, a platform, an institution, um, a content creator um, <laughs> that puts out tons and tons of very low quality content. Um, and you, so one of the most sort of recognizable ones would be something like five minute crafts. So you're seeing absurd, dangerous, meaningless, colorful life hacks with, you know, hot glue and uh, food and garbage uh, just being pumped out, you know, seven, 10, 12 videos a day. Yeah. And often pieces of content being recycled within the channel's output, sometimes like even in the same week. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this in our feed and thinking, wow, it's so bad like the content is just so awful surely it can't just be humans putting this out because how how could their brains take it um and in fact in i mean sadly a lot of real content farms are run by humans and staffed by poor humans who are doing this for a living mm -hmm. but we started thinking about uh because things like buying fake instagram followers which are not humans is so normalized as kind of a background thing. But as we're scrolling, we're not necessarily thinking, oh, she's a bot, he's a bot, that's a bot. Uh, this is not human content. We started thinking, okay, what if a content generating bot ran a content farm and it really took off? Mm. And you know what, like, what was the process like? Was it like two years, three years, five years? Like how, how long did it come to develop? So we started making a demo in 2020. Uh, we got some funding to make a prototype. Um, and at first it was more like a sketch show. It mm -hmm. still had the narrative thread of Judith, the, the bot, the neural network content creator. Um, but it had some less obviously related sketches in it. Then we got production funding and turned it into a series. And it sort of coalesced into kind of all the the sub worlds within this larger world have something to do with 
either um, you know faking your face, faking your voice, the generation of meaningless content, stealing other people's content, stealing other people's faces, and everything sort of revolves around that in the series right now. And it was really interesting having like um, coming from theater and wanting to make like all these little sketches but have a narrative thread and have it relate back to each other in an interesting way. We love sketch comedy and it's one of the things that, you know, you always are like, oh, I wonder what happened more. Like, give me more about that. And with content farms, they do. Like, <laughs> they'll take the same content and they'll show it to you again and they'll show it to you again. And so we wanted to sort of weave together this narrative something that you don't usually have in, in sketch comedy, as well as the ability to like unfold, unfold, unfold these sort of smaller sketch comedy worlds into larger, longer narratives. It, it's it's scary um, when I was watching it and, and educational in its own right. And, you know, like, and I want to congratulate you on your launch. Thank you. Yes, it was wonderful. So what, what has that feedback been like so far? Um, I feel like it's landing with people. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's so strange the time that this has been released because three years ago when we were like, okay, so, you know, there's a content generating bot and it's stealing everyone's face and it's stealing their voice. It can fake their, you know, it can deep fake their whole body. People were like, what's a deep fake? Um, you know, <laughs> where in my life would I find a content generating bot? And now in the past few months, the past two weeks even, yeah. um, you know, there's just been an explosion of development oh. and launches in AI and everyone's talking about GPT-4 and deep yes. have become so normalized at yeah. this point that, you know, we don't have to explain um, as much. We, don't have, we have to explain yeah. 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 You're like the pioneers. I mean, it's really, I mean, this is, this is really so unique concept and, and, you know, it's just like, as I said, it, it, it kind of makes you think, you know, is that a bot? I, I mean, it's just, it's just so like Love Island. I mean, I saw, you know, how, like, was it expensive? Like how, what was the budget like you can, you know, share? For sure. So our, our budget for the three episodes was just over 200K. So mm. Not, not a lot for, you know, a t TV, um, mm -hmm. I mean, TV, web series, what have you. Um, yeah. we were in this program that we, that we built this um, from, it's sort of like, here was the cap of how much money you can have to make whatever, whatever you want to make. And I know between myself, Lauren, and our other producer, Nicholas, like, we felt the uniqueness of this story and of this moment that we were like, you know what, instead of reasonably <laughs> making yeah. a fun 10 minute episode to sort of just use as a, you know, as a little sneak peek, we were like, no, no, let's, let's push it to the, <laughs> to the limits. Let's get every shoestring and favor mm -hmm. and extra thousand hours that we have. <laughs> um, um to put into this so that we wanted to show the style, the style of the narrative arcs, the style over the three episodes. And there's things that we shot that even got cut. We made a washing machine out of garbage, sheet metal. Oh, wow. And we put her in like this handmade garbage machine and, and we rolled her and, and it's, and as we were editing, it had to get cut. 
and we're hoping that it will have like in this content farm you know cycle yes. we'll be able to release it on our own in a different way and have every moment that we filmed and all the b-roll and all of that sort of make the most out of it so yes yes there'll be more like you, you know it will continue on you know i'm, I'm sure that, but you know going like um it's jessica who starts to use different ways like that's can you share a little bit about you know the um the storyline so uh in the show there's a pair of bots and they're sort of you know apologies to all computer scientists um you know like shameful anthropomorphized uh neural network um and so the bots create this fake instagram influencer called jessica and basically um, you know, do a composite of a whole bunch of different ladies' faces from Instagram. And the technique that we used to actually realize this character was deepfake. So the bot is doing sort of a more advanced version of fictional deepfaking, and we're actually using deepfake. So Jessica, the influencer that you see in the story, as the bots learn to uh, figure out what is offensive, what generates revenue, what's appealing content, what is appealingly intimate, what's off-putting. Um, the influencer Jessica is played by Elaine, so her facial movements and, you know, from the neck down and the voice are Elaine and the face is, is nobody. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's it's like, um, but like, what would you want people to take away from the series? I think if it causes you to um, enjoy an aspect of the internet that you hate and feel powerless to stop um and also causes you to ask even one time huh maybe this outrageous thing i saw that makes me so angry and want to kill other people it came from a bot could it have come from a bot then i would be happy <laughs> <laughs> because it's just it's overwhelming i i know for myself you, you feel like is that real is that fake and you know as i keep saying when I, I it's like this is needed this what you produce what you created is uh and coming from an impressive theater background like did i miss anything when i said directors writers singers do you sing too no we sing a bit not in this show um we des we design we are the the yes. designers and content farm as well yeah so um is there anything else that was there like a favorite part that you enjoyed the most because you take us on a journey, but yeah, is there in the in the creation of it or in the show itself? In the show itself, yeah, yeah. I love any moment when a character is waiting for the the death knell of the comments. Um, mm. That moment of tension. There's a few of them, um, which, and I find it funny that it it's always a bot waiting to find out what the comments say. But of course, we. <laughs> they're going to have human anxiety, but they don't. Do bots even have anxiety? I don't know. Um, but yeah, the anxiety <laughs> of waiting for the comments to bore in. Yes, yeah. I like the dogs, the three dogs. Yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> so here I'm giving it away. But if you know, so, so what's next for you two? So we'd love to make more content farm, but in the immediate future, um, we're working on a project called Day Gamers. 
and it's about a woman who attempts to make a documentary about three pickup artists who are trying to revolutionize the world of uh, seduction by gaming in the day. They are the day gamers. Um, but of course, the mid 2000s, Me Too, Elevator Gate, the pandemic, everything, uh, you know, comes at this documentary and she has to remake it and remake it and remake it. Mm -hmm. And so it's about um, the awkwardness of um, trying to date in the in the 2010s yeah um and it's also about um the hostility uh that people receive on the internet when they try to make a positive change um and in this in this story everyone is animated earwigs wow that's just can't wait to see it <laughs> we learned we learned a whole new set of film skills, like took all, everything we learned from theater, applied it to film, and now, okay, what is a new challenge that we can figure out, which is animation with live action and com combining all of our design skills as well, so. Yes, you know, an impressive theater background, as I said, and you know, it's transferable skills, right? And here you are, and there's more. So people want to check it out. Where can they go? Uh, so if you just go on cbcgem.ca and type in Content Farm, you can watch all three episodes. And if you just search Content Farm on YouTube, uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube and we will have plenty of nasty <laughs> garbage content um, uh, curated and edited together that fits into the world of Content Farm for you to watch in the coming months. Oh, it's wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Follow you where we follow you. <laughs> um, no, it's just, it's been a really exciting ride to get into this world. All every detail of the content farm world, all of the design, all of the pacing, all the music, like the time we spent with our sound designers. Shout out to Quinn and Drew; they were amazing. Like just the fullness of this world. Like it's exciting for us to either a get the chance to continue the story as when we wrote it it has more evolutions and more expansions and the ability to also do that just online through the sort of you know expanding out these storylines seeing behind all the b-roll all the extra stuff that you don't get to see in a polished polished mm. series that there is a place for them to live on the internet which is like in itself like in a very exciting form and anything you'd like to add i would say to anyone listening if you're you know if you liked if you check out an episode of quantum farm and you like it if you're into parasocial relationships and dead mall aesthetics we'll be making more stuff for you <laughs> thank you <laughs> i love it and did you want to leave um you know your instagram handles or anything because we that. Yeah, sh sure. Should we just say them? Yeah, they're yes. underscore content dot farm underscore. Thank you. Thanks so much. And I'd like you to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Joining me today is he is a talented musician, MC, host of a karaoke, popular karaoke every Thursday at the Georgie's Pub in New Westminster. 
He's also a TV film editor and consultant. Doug Lucas is here today to talk about his music career and share some tips for those who are interested in a music career or editing as well. Welcome, Doug. Thank you for inviting me, Christine. I always have a habit of saying Mr. Lucas. I think it's because <laughs> that I don't was my know. dad. The little thing goes, that was my dad. I'm Doug, no problem. <laughs> but I really appreciate your time today. And you know, when I think back how we started, you know, and I'm learning so much about you. I think that we never stop learning. And and I and I didn't know you started your music career at the age of fifteen. Is that correct? That was fourteen, but it was close fourteen. Yeah, yeah, fourteen. I was just on my way home from school one day and I was approached by a guy who said, hey, do you sing? And I said, well, I can. He said, well, I'm in a band. We're looking for a singer and we've got a gig in two weeks. So I said, I'll go with that. So I went to his place at, uh, after school and we rehearsed and, uh, and then we were playing for quite a few years after that, as a matter of fact, until I left Nova Scotia uh, to move on. So it was a lot of fun and uh, it was my start. Yes, but was there a pivotal moment that you knew that, hey, you know what, I love music so much and I just want to pursue a career? Well, the funny part about it, Christine, is it's not so much music. I do love music, but it wasn't so much music. Was It was about being an entertainer. That meant being live on stage or creating, you know, emceeing a show or being a part of a different kind of show. It's it. To me, it was, it's all about entertainment, and I believe that um, it all starts with, with you being an entertainer, even as a musician. You can be a great musician, but if you're not a great entertainer, uh, you might as well stay in a studio. You know, you have, to, you have to entertain the people who come to hear you just as much as they came to see you. So, I mean, do you come from a family of entertainers? Well, the funny thing about my, my dad uh, played harmonica. Uh, on the radio uh, when we were young and my mother had a great singing voice and so did my dad and so Christmas uh, our siblings and myself and our parents would sit around and and uh, dad would play the harmonica and mom would sing and we do Christmas carols and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and music was always a part of our, our whole uh, upbringing because I've got six sisters and a brother all of whom love music too. So, uh, you know, uh, I was the second youngest sibling, so I got to see all of that energy, you know, growing up. So uh, it was always music in the house. Yes, and I mean, was there a, um, I mean, is there a favorite song that you that you really enjoy? Like, is it blues, is it jazz, is it, or is it all? You know, so, you know something, I just love music played well. And I certainly love, uh, people who can entertain when they play too. So um, when I was young, my mother took me to, I mean, these, these, I mean, this one person, Joe Tex, I mean, he was very famous at the time. And I was only eight or nine years old. And my mom took me to see him and I saw Ray Charles when, uh, you know, I was very wow. young. My mom took me to, to those kind of places, whereas I would never have been able to get into them because, you know, it was major events. But my mom recognized the fact that I liked music as much as I did. And so she took me out to see these great, great performers. And it was uh, really something to see. Uh, and uh, I just thought at the time, you know, if I can garner that kind of, uh, uh, you know, audience, uh, it doesn't matter if they're one person or a hundred people. 
I, I just thought that would be a fun thing to do. It's what I started playing. Well, you know, you have, for those who have never listened to you or gone to see you, you have a great singing voice. Is there a song that you particularly like? I'm not specifically. Now, my wife, she that's a different thing. When we go out and I'm out to sing somewhere, uh, she will point me in which direction, what song she wants me to sing. But um, I, there's just so much things about music that I like, that, that uh, I, there's bands that I like, but, you know, it, it, there's nothing specific because I've had 54 years of music in my life, and it's hard to say which one I would like the best at this point. Yes, and you know, I was thinking too that you always support others and from your music career, and I mentioned at the intro that you are a very in-demand karaoke host on Thursdays at Georgie's Pub. <laughs> Can you tell our viewers a little bit about that in case they want to join? Well, I'll tell you something. Um, I enjoy, now there's a lot of live musicians who think I'll never do karaoke, but realistically I know a lot of great singers who use uh, karaoke as a practice session for them because in this case they can have any genre of music any style of music they want and they don't have to rely on a band to play it so they can practice anything things that they normally wouldn't sing or things that they'd like to sing and I've been very fortunate especially at George's in the West uh, we've got some great talent there uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, the shows that are on TV because they're so staged uh, mm -hmm. I've seen people who are just as talented, just amazing. You just, you know, you'd stop and, and have to listen. The people with just the microphone and the speakers and as raw as it gets, and they're still incredibly, incredibly talented. So that's the kind of music I appreciate, the kind of shows I appreciate. So I'm really happy that, you know, we get so many. And I'll tell you something, we get great listeners there too. I mean, great singers are one thing, but when you have people who appreciate that, it makes it just that much better. And I mean, there's a, you know, you're supporting the community and, you know, check it out, you know, and supporting musicians and, and, you know, have your opportunity to sing and it's, and it's great. And, but I, you know, the question I have is like, as a professional musician, like, you know, you do consulting work, you're also an editor. Do you think from your entertainment gene, your, <laughs> your DNA, um, do you think it's transferable skills into what you do today? Uh, of course, I think that everything you do, uh, like to entertain the public, can be transferred to another part of that genre. Really, the, the best thing about doing things like and not being afraid to, to step outside of what you're used to is that any experience you have is transferable. I've, I'm very fortunate I have uh, a certificate from the, the Toronto um, um, network of uh, broadcasters. Uh, you know, from years ago now. But, uh, and everything that I've got learned along the way, I was able to use in my other fields uh, because entertainment is entertainment. And the good thing about it is my base is music and music transfers to, into everything. And once you get used to the music and know what music can stir another person or, or, or pull another person in, you can apply that to just about anything. I'm really happy when I edit and I get to use music in my editing because I know the, the feelings that music can stir. And when you can mix the both of them together, it's it's very powerful. It, yes, it is. And I mean, like, who is your biggest supporter? 
Well, Christine, other than my wife, I think it would be you. <laughs> no, I, I have a few people that I know that I've known for many, many years uh, that that always, you know, support my 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 ventures, my my entertainment ventures. They've been absolutely wonderful. But uh, I think realistically, uh, it's always been. It was never a a career for me as much as it was just a joy of being able to do it. And so I could bounce from one genre of, of entertainment to the other without feeling like I was ever missing out on anything because each of those give me a different kind of a, a, a good feeling about what I'm doing. That's wonderful. And last question, any tips for those who are wishing to, you know, get into editing, who want to get into music? Uh, yeah, I think the best thing to do is just enjoy what you do and pass that enjoyment along to somebody else. When you enjoy something and you do it to the best of your ability, it, it transfers into whatever it is you're doing. And then the people who are watching it or listening or being a part of it, they feel that too. It's like a great actor. When you see a great actor doing this thing, you can see his emotion and it transfers into your emotions. Well. It, it's the same thing with anything, musically, enter, anything entertainment-wise. When you can translate that into whatever it is you're doing, then people will pick up on that. So my best thing is to do, you don't have to think about a career of doing it. just have to remember that if you're doing it, you're doing it for the enjoyment of everybody, not just yourself. Doug or Mr. Lucas, I want to thank you very much for being a guest and, and being so supportive of not just myself, for those out there um, who who are inspired by you. And, and, and thank you so much. For, I'd like to have you back. Oh, no problem. And I thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Here we are at the Vancouver Art Gallery, and we're at an extraordinary exhibit, and it's the Art Party Fashion Fictions. And I'm with Amber Dawn Bear Robe, and my Blackfoot name is Many Butterfly Woman from Siksika Nation, Treaty 7. And I'm so thrilled to be with you here today, and I'm so glad that you're here at this amazing opening art party. It is spectacular. And you are the contributing curator. Yes. 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 So tell us your role. Uh, well, I'm the contributing curator, and I was primarily brought in to represent the Indigenous fashion of Canadian and American designers. And I'm just so thrilled. This is a global fashion exhibition, and that the curator, Stephanie Rebick, who's the, the lead curator, Anthony Keendall, the executive director, were. Um, just invited me to be a part of this and to recognize and to bring Indigenous fashion into this global conversation. Because too often Indigenous fashion is left out of the fashion story. And so I'm so thrilled that this narrative is being uh, presented to the, to the public. Such yes. an important narrative. And by the way, I am wearing Pamela Baker, oh, who is in the fashion, ex who is in the exhibition. This is a vintage Pamela Baker, and it's pink. She didn't know this, but she made it just for me. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and I love your hair and you got yes. the, the pink it's happening. <laughs> and I also just want to point out that I'm wearing um, Indigenous artists jewelers from uh, based in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where I am based. Cody Sanderson, George Rivera, Anthony Pinacus, Sanding Elk. And I would, I really hope that you and whoever's watching can come and visit and attend the Swaya 
Indigenous Fashion Show in Santa Fe, New Mexico, August 19th to 20th, which is expanding into Indigenous Santa Fe Fashion Week, the first week of May 2024.